Welcome to this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. I am Stuart Blythe, a member of the faculty ADC and the Dean of Chapel. Here, you'll get a chance to hear perceptive and powerful sermons which were delivered by staff, faculty, students, alumni and guests as part of our weekly Wednesday Chapel services. Good morning. It's good to be with you here in person and to worship with you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dr. Jody Linkletter. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Have you ever had one of those moments where your mind would not shut off? And it's busy thinking whether about that something you have seen, something you have read, or a conversation that you're overanalyzing. For some of us, that um, event just causes you to stay up at night. This is what happened to me for days after I read this passage, and I know uh, for some of us, as we get into this, maybe you'll see why. Really, it was only one word in this passage that just leapt off the page. I don't think that is something unusual, as I think sometimes God uses that to grab our attention. But we'll come back to that later on today. First, some of you may be wondering, like a friend of mine, Uh, when she asked, what does this passage have to do with the Advent season? It's not a typical passage we would read in this time of preparation, um, but hopefully as we move on, you will see the connection as we prepare our hearts for leaders, whatever our roles, as we come to celebrate Jesus's birth this season. So let's jump in. Chronicles, we need to set the context first of where this book was written and who was written, who wrote it. First, the fact is that the Chronicles is often placed in the post-exilic timeframe, the author which most scholars will name the Chronicler. Some commentaries place the Chronicles after the temple had already been rebuilt. So the audience to whom he was writing, they were dealing with the realities of life after the fall of their nation returning back to Jerusalem. I wondered what they imagined life would be like when they returned, especially if they remembered or heard of the glory days. I wonder if they were faced with disappointment when they returned. One commentary reminds readers that although the monarchy was not reestablished in this time, the rebuilding of the temple allowed the people to be nourished in their faith. The second thing is, is as you read Chronicles, you'll be keenly aware that the author is drawing on the Samuel King's account along with other sources. There are places where the writer of Chronicles seems to leave out events and commentaries attribute to that of the fact that Samuel's Kings was written before Chronicles and so that there would be a common knowledge of these events that happened. What should be noted here is the difference between the Samuel King's account with that of the chronicler. Similar to if you and I observed the same event, we might report it differently depending on our point of view or our perspective that we may want to highlight. Now, if you're thirsty and you drink a glass of water, some of us in this culture will know the adage Some of us here will see this as half full. Some of us will see it half empty. 
When I was speaking with Old Testament professor Dr. Walsh, this is how he described it, that the second Samuel King's account being written was through the lens of a half-empty perspective, while the chronicler was writing with a half-full mentality, a positive slant on the history of their nation. The third thing I'd like to highlight that is that the chronicler's emphasis seems to be on the right place of temple worship for the Israelites. This is important considering he's writing in this time where the Jews had returned to worship in the second temple. There was hope. They were back in Jerusalem. Not only had they returned to their homeland, but their temple had been rebuilt. You can almost sense that sense of hope. Boda states in his commentary, this was an audience forced to reorientate their faith and worldview to a post-kingdom reality, living as an insignificant Jewish colony on the edge of the mighty Persian Empire. He continues to say they were waiting for the full realization of the restoration of the kingdom of David. You can anticipate that hope. But I couldn't help but see the connection to us today. At the time, one time the Jewish nation was strong, it was powerful, but here they are insignificant. At one time, the Christian worldview here in North America, here in Canada, was a predominant worldview. And now we all can admit and see that we are living in a post-Christian worldview. Some of us find that very difficult. Many don't have the same worldview as us. Our faith is being challenged and stretched and it, sometimes it's difficult. We too are needing to reorientate our faith and worldview. But in that difficulty of the feeling press, it's kind of like a diamond. I had that picture of the diamond being formed deep in the earth with the heat and the pressure. Although we are not focused on the right temple worship per se as the chronicler might have been, we are being called to keep our eyes focused on Christ the one who shapes our hearts, if we allow him to shape our hearts. There too is hope because Jesus has come, he has risen, and we know there is hope for the future return of Jesus to usher in the kingdom, to make all things new. Just like the post-exilic Jews had to learn how to live and worship in a place of change, so too we need to learn how to live a life of worship that points others to Jesus, especially today. This Christmas, we can have hope and we can point others to that same hope in Jesus. This is the setting in which the book of Chronicles is written and this, the passage we read, read today was written. It's not surprising as a chronicler works through the list of kings, some following God and some not, we have a focus on the restoration of the temple in Hezekiah's time. We know from the passage and what comes before it, Hezekiah's father had shut the temple doors. Verse six and seven states, for our ancestors have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the dwelling of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps and have not offered incense 
or made burnt offerings in the holy place of God of Israel. This is in contrast to what we hear Hezekiah will do in reestablishing the temple worship. Verse 3 says that in the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. The temple was shut. The lamp had gone out. Hezekiah's father shut the doors, the center of the worship of God of Israel. Some of the people to whom this was written would not have had experience worshiping in that first temple, but were part of the reestablishing of the temple worship. I can't help but think of symbolism here. Allow me to indulge a little bit, if you will. I thought about the turning out of the lamps. I was imagining the lamp of God, his light in this world. Hezekiah's father did evil. It says in 28, 24, he shut up the doors of the house and made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. There was not worshiping of the true God, only false gods. There was no acknowledging, but a turning away from the source of the truth and light. In today's world that clamors for so much of our attention, I can't help but wonder where we have pivoted and turned from the source of truth. So many times as believers, we can fall quickly to doing things in our own strength, on our own, that God can quickly no longer be the center. In verse 7 of the passage, it says the lamps were put out. In this season of Advent, when we speak about love and joy and peace and light, where do we see God's light at work? But where has our light dwindled? I'm sure that many of us can point to examples in our life and to society as a whole, ways that either God's light is shining or maybe not as brightly. Perhaps it's in the way in which we treat those around us. Maybe it's how we make room for those who are different than us. Maybe it's how we use our tongues. Is it for gossip? Is it speaking the truth? Is it for condemning or speaking without hatred? Where as the church have we shut our doors? Where have we put up barriers to those who don't know Christ? Where by our own actions have we pointed to anything but Christ? But as we turn back to this passage, we know it doesn't need to stay that way. We can be like Hezekiah, who turned the hearts of the people back to the Lord. He does this first by bringing the priests and the Levites to speak with them. His speech was requiring these religious leaders to do two things, and it was requiring them to also have a certain characteristics, to be a certain way as leaders. And when I use the term leaders today, I'm not just referring to pastors, but all types of leaders where God has placed us in our context. First, the king was requiring the leaders to prepare themselves, to set themselves apart for God's service. And then the king was requiring to them to get rid of the filth that had been brought into the temple, to sanctify and get the temple ready. This idea that the priests and the Levites had to prepare themselves and sanctify themselves shows that first, before they could lead the people into worship and reestablishing the worship, they had to be ready. And B, it alludes to the fact that they were perhaps not ready. And as one commentary by Hooker states, 
They, these leaders, have in fact allowed themselves to lapse into uselessness by virtue of inactivity. It is not merely the king who was wandered from the faith, but the clergy as well. I like Dr. Walsh in our conversation says it this way, sanctify yourselves because those before us were unfaithful. Don't be like our ancestors who have messed up. To the audience who would have heard Chronicles, they might have heard the same message. They had gone through exile. They were brought back. Don't be unfaithful like our ancestors. Maybe they heard a call to keep their hearts right before God to be ready to prepare themselves. What strikes me here is that before the rest of the people were called to worship, the leaders had to prepare themselves first. They had to have their hearts ready. As we prepare for this season of Advent, we need to first prepare our own hearts before we can lead others in this journey of celebrating Advent, the coming of Jesus. As I reflect on this, I wonder if there are places in our own lives where we need to sort out with God to get right before we take that place of leadership and our surrounding communities and pointing them to the celebration and the message of Christmas. Are there places in attention in our lives that we need to tend to intentionally? Are there places of inattention, places we've ignored that we need to tend to intentionally? So that our hearts are right before God, not just our worship services, not just our music or our sermons or decorations or sounds or our appearances of our worshiping communities, but are our hearts ready? The priests and Levites get further motivations or instructions from Hezekiah in verse 11. And this is where we pick up that word I was telling you about at the beginning that really caught my attention. In verse 11, we have, my sons, do not now be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to be his ministers, and offer incense. Notice the word negligent. I am told in the Hebrew that this verb is in the tense, which means to be something rather than to do something. And I think that's an important distinction, and this is the only time I'm told that this word in the Hebrew is offered in this tense, to be something rather than to do something. In this passage, it is saying, don't be negligent, don't be careless, don't be lazy, don't repeat what has happened in the past. Rather, be one who is ready. Do what you are called to do, to be on guard against laziness. In other English translations, it all, they usually use negligent, some of them use carelessness or careless. In the English dictionary, negligent is habitual neglect, to disregard, to fail to care for, to attend to poorly. And likewise, careless means being indifferent or being apathetic. The word negligent popped off this page. Hezekiah in this passage is calling the spiritual leaders not to be like those who came before them, but to be ready. And this verb tends to be something rather than to do, is connected with who we are. Perhaps some might even say character. Character can lead people closer to Jesus or further away. 
We can just see that in the example of the kings, the cycles of the kings. When they turn their back on God, they cause the nation to turn their back on God. When they were turned towards God, they cause the nation to return to God. As leaders, we have that immense responsibility because the way we live, our character, can turn people towards God or away from God. Today, as, a peop as people call to be God's servants, let us not be negligent or careless or just going through the actions of what we are called to do. Let us serve the best we can. I want you to hear these words. The Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him and to be his ministers and offer incense. There's a lot packed in there. As leaders in God's work and ministry, in whatever capacity he has called you here, he has chosen you to stand in his presence, to pray, to preach, to be present with others and point people to Jesus. To stand in his presence, we cannot minister alongside of others if we're not meeting regularly with God in his presence to allow him to transform our own hearts to transform our carelessness, our indifference, our complacent hearts. It is not time to neglect our hearts in this season of busyness and preparation. It's not time to be negligent, so to do what God has called you to do. As we prepare our hearts for the celebration of Jesus' birth, let God transform our hearts, our burdened and overwhelmed hard hearts. This requires intentionality to be in his presence, which is only possible because a gift of his son. Don't go through the actions of serving God, but allow his presence to change you. Don't do it out of duty, but do it out of the care that God places in your hearts. We are called to attend to his service, to make offerings to him, what is, specifically, what is it specifically that God has called you to do? Are you doing that in your own strength or through the power and deep places of meeting with God, trusting Jesus and listening to the Holy Spirit for direction? We are called to be God's ministers and to offer incense, to worship and to give thanks. As we come into this Advent season, let us be intentional in preparing our hearts. As Hezekiah commanded the priests and the Levites to be ready before they led the people, worshiping God and offering sacrifice. Let us take time to intentionally examine our hearts, where we have become negligent, careless of our duties. Let us examine where our hearts need to be transformed by the power of being in God's presence. Let us examine where we are to be present in the world around us, bringing the hope of Jesus, the light of life to those around us. Let us give thanks for who God is, for what he has done, for not allowing hope to die, and that we still have hope because of his gift of Christ. This Christmas, let us not be so consumed in planning and preparation of doing what should be done, that we become negligent, that we don't prepare our own hearts and our own lives. But let us stand in his presence, 
give thanks for who he is, that we don't serve him in our own strength, but that we have the wonderful privilege to point others to his light and love. Thank you for joining us in this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. You can follow us on social media. Discover more on our website at acadiadiv.ca or join us for chapel on a Wednesday.